HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Escape Maker's on-demand agritourism training. For more information, go to escapemaker.biz. That's escapemaker.biz. Hey there, HRN listeners. This is Harry Rosenblum, host of Feast Your Ears. I know that news about COVID-19 and the coronavirus has made a lot of people nervous about getting sick. This collective unease has already had a big impact on our restaurant and food communities, especially in New York's Chinatowns. We hope that now more than ever, our listeners will join us in supporting restaurants and the hospitality industry at large. Many of the restaurants we love are small, independent businesses. That means that even one or two bad weeks can put them in jeopardy of cutting staff, limiting hours, or even having to close for good. As long as we're still able, we should go out to eat and support our favorite restaurants. I think it's also great to remember that hospitality professionals are really good at hygiene and food safety practices. Long before there were guides all over the news about how to properly wash your hands, they were already experts at hygiene. Guests' health is tantamount to successful hospitality in any restaurant. And even if you don't want to go out, you can still support restaurants by ordering delivery, buying gift cards, and giving them some extra love on social media. What better way to handle a crisis than by supporting those in our own community? If we don't support them now, they might not be there when this crisis is over. Join HRN in supporting restaurants during this time, especially our friends in Chinatowns around the country. Thanks for listening. to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it is Wednesday, March 18th, 2020. This is the 244th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Now, just a heads up that due to COVID-19, the coronavirus, which we will be talking about in our industry news segment today and its impact on our hospitality community, our Heritage Radio studio is currently closed, so we are recording this episode remotely. It may sound a little different than usual, but we're happy to have the technology that allows us to keep making our scheduled programming. So today my guest is a wonderful tableware ceramist based in Philadelphia, and I will introduce him fully in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. 
as the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to keep calm and carry out. Now, this is a slogan that I'm borrowing from Heritage Radio, as I believe it's super important, especially at this uncertain time. As we in the world are facing the seriousness of COVID-19, we need to support our local neighborhood restaurants as best as we can so they can survive this pandemic. It's an uncertain time, but we can help by ordering in and taking out and remembering to always tip well. We can also buy restaurant gift cards, merchandise, and dining bonds and advocate for our hospitality industry's needs. So support restaurants and stay strong and positive as we will get through this. Use the hashtag keep calm and carry out and be well, my friends. That's my tip today. Now I'm excited to have my guest on the show with me today. It is Nate Mel, the founder and owner of Felt and Fat, an artisanal tableware company based in Philadelphia, which he founded in 2014. Nate creates dishes for some of the finest chefs and was recognized on Forbes 30 Under 30 for art and style in 2015. Welcome to the show. Hey there. Nice to talk to you on the internet. I know. I know. It's like we're connected Manhattan to Philly through the airwaves. <laughs> yeah, some really good social distancing right now. Really good. We're we're doing a good job on that. But it's too I wish I wish I could be in the studio with you. We'll have to down the road plan for a, a take two. Um, oh, yeah. and, and, and meet at Roberta's. Well, nobody's in the studio today. It's uh, me at home, actually. Yeah, so, you're uh, you're you're working. Well, uh, we'll have to. Well, is that when did you start working from home? Is that um, and how is that going? <laughs> oh boy. Well, as of Tuesday, um, our governor in uh, Pennsylvania shut down all non-essential businesses, and as essential as I find tableware to be, it seems uh, we didn't quite qualify. So. You know, currently, um, all of our staff are on leave. Uh, we are figuring out next steps, but we feel good. Um, we have a lot of uh, confidence in our uh, clients, and we're keeping up with everybody, and everybody's very positive, and I think, you know, understands what's going on. So we're going to push through and, uh, you know, maybe come up with some great new designs while I'm kicking it at home with my dog. Yeah, well, that's the right attitude, for sure. And, I mean, it's it's one of these things I just – you know, it's the, re- it's, I mean, it's the restaurants and the restaurant community, which is everyone I've been talking to on my show. It's all of us. It's, you know, that are, we're, we're a part of this, um, that we have to, we have to see it through with the restaurants and, and help them survive so we can survive. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, yeah. it's a tough time. Yeah, it's a really, it's a really interesting time. Um, you know, I was a server for eight years before starting this. And so, you know, I'm talking to a lot of people who I know who are still in the industry here. It's, uh, yeah, it's really scary for people like that. I think more than anybody, um, obviously the business owners, you know, have a lot, um, on their shoulders. Um, you know, people like me, people like other, you know, small restaurant owners, especially, you know, we have a lot of responsibility to our staff and we, uh, you know, really need to make sure that they feel taken care of. And I think that's kind of the number one uh, thing at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. So going back a bit with your your story and how you got into what you're doing today. Um, 
so you were a server. What, where, where did, did you grow up in Philadelphia? And um, yeah, what led you into working in restaurants to start with? Oh, yeah. Well, if you want to go all the way back, uh, my, family, <laughs> yeah. my, my dad's family's from Philly and they're, they're from like colonial Philadelphia. So we've been here for a real long time. Um, I grew up in Hawaii, actually, until I was 10. Um, my dad and my mom moved out there for a while and, uh, you know, eventually came back uh, in the mid 90s, uh, moved to the Philly suburbs and Havertown. So I grew up uh, in my summers going into the city to work. Me and my brother worked construction. <laughs> Uh, every summer in high school, we'd come in and work full time in the summers. Uh, so we were working down in Old City, places like that back in, uh, I guess, the early 2000s, something like 2001, two, three. Um, then when I got out of school, I took some time off after high school. My dad wanted me to get into a trade, uh, but I decided to kind of take some time and figure out what I wanted to do. And I eventually uh, ended up going to art school um, where I studied um you know, craft, fine art, um, with a focus in glass, actually, but did a bit of ceramics in uh, in college. And kind of when I graduated, started focusing a little bit more heavily on that back in 2012. Oh, wow. So, so then you were, you were working in, I believe, what restaurant? It was at Fork? Um... Yeah, yeah. So I worked uh, for eight years at different restaurants in Philly. Um, you know, when I started working in restaurants, it's because my you know brother-in-law at the time had gotten a job in restaurants, and you know he always uh, talked about how great it was. You know, you could make great money, and uh, you know uh, it seemed just like a really fun life. And so, uh, you know, I got into restaurant work before college, and then during college, after college, it's always a really great way to pay the bills when you're when you're in your 20s. You know, the money you make as a server can be great. Um, so I was doing that, but I always had in the back of my mind to try to you know, make something of my own. I never knew exactly what, but somewhere in the back of my mind, I, you know, wanted to start something for myself. Um, So when I got out of college, um, I got a little art studio, about 300 square feet. It's a tiny space. Um, And I was, I was doing a lot of different work. Um, I was starting to get into ceramics a lot more. Uh, I started working at this place called the, the Clay Studio, which is a ceramic art center here in Philly. It's been around since the 60s really, really cool space um, where I got to learn uh, more kind of ceramic art techniques and things like that. Um, in the meantime, yeah, I was paying the bills uh, working in restaurants. So, you know, for me, uh, restaurants at that time were always a means to an end. I liked the lifestyle. I loved food. I loved going out with, uh, you know, my server friends and stuff after work. But I never, I don't think really got the industry you know, bug as much as, you know, some people did. Um, the really like love of the industry until until the last restaurant I worked in, which was um which was Fork. Um so Fork restaurant is this really in, incredible restaurant that's been around in Philly for now over twenty-two years, uh, I believe. Um the owner is this woman, Ellen Yin, who's an incredible restaurateur who when she opened Fork was super forward thinking. And this was, you know, twenty plus years ago. They were doing farm to table food and they were you know, using local artists to, you know, do the murals and things like that in the restaurant. So she, she was always really plugged in with um, what was going on in food and in, in the city as well. Um, so back in 2012, I started working at Fork. So it was just out of college. And um, right then, a chef named Eli Colt had just moved to Philly and taken over uh, Fork Restaurant as the chef. Uh, 
Ellen was the proprietor, so she always had different chefs working for her or for the restaurant. So Eli moved to Philly um, from New York, where he was working um, at Teresi Italian Specialties uh, with the um, with that restaurant group, whose name escapes me. It's a Teresi and Carbone. Um, um, major food group. Yeah, yeah. So he was working yeah. with major food group. Uh, so he was the you know the the, the chef at Teresi. This Michelin star restaurant, really incredible place. Um, and he moved to Philly to kind of redo the whole, you know, restaurant at Fork. Uh, so I got to come right when he came to Philly. I was on one of a few new opening staff. And it was really the first time that I, you know, working in a restaurant got to feel kind of like the real excitement of working at a place that had just like incredible um, vision and uh, standards. You know, Eli was, you know, a really engaging person to work for, super visionary. Um, and he was doing just, you know, really thinking about the future of food and restaurants and trying to be, you know, the best around. Um, so it was really cool to work for him. And, uh, you know, while working there, I got really excited about what was going on in food and restaurants. And uh, I, you know, had a great relationship with Eli and with Ellen. And about a year into working there uh, as a server, um, you know, Eli approached me uh, and asked him if I could make him plates. Um, so he, uh, at the time was conceptualizing a new restaurant that they were going to open uh, in about a year at that point. Um, this was 2013, like early 2013. Eli asked me if I could make him plates and, you know, uh, I told him yes, of course. I'd never made a plate in my life, but uh, I figured, you know, couldn't be that hard. <laughs> um, so, you know, he, he, he didn't quite know how much experience I had in ceramics, which was you know, minimal, uh, more than average, less than many. Um, but you know, I had a year to work on it. So, um, you know, I figured I could figure it out in that period of time. So technically, you know, this whole thing started early by like spring 2013. Um, it wasn't until 2014 that, you know, we had a name, we, uh, you know, actually incorporated as a LLC and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, it was interesting working on that first project. Um, at first it was just, you know, a thing to make a little bit of money and learn a new skill but while working on it, um, it started. It kind of struck me that um, there was there was this niche in the hospitality industry that was starting to become, you know, uh, really uh, relevant. Um, you know, something Eli had told me um, and told all the staff at one point at this meeting was, you know, if you're going to do anything, you know, in life. You know, if you, if you have a vision, you don't want to like try to be the best in the neighborhood or even the best in the city. You want to see you know, who's the best in the world and what are they doing and how can I emulate them? So at that time it was, um, it was Noma was, you know, considered the best, you know, named the best restaurant in the world. And, you know, they were doing really cool stuff. And Eli talked about them from time to time. And, you know, I started looking at Noma and I was like, oh, these guys are using these um, handmade plates from a guy named Casper Wurtz, who's a, I believe, Swedish ceramicist. Um, and so, you know, it occurred to me if Noma's using handmade plates, like, you know, you know, eventually everybody's going to want to be doing that. And so I kind of figured, yeah, I could probably make a business out of this. And, uh, you know, it's really good sometimes to really have a level of naivety when you get into things like this, because, uh, <laughs> if I had known how much it would take to get to where we are today, I don't know if it would have happened, but, uh, yeah, that's how it all started. It's a great story, and it's. Um, I I was trying to. I don't know what year it was exactly that. Um, I was in Philadelphia, and I was with my friend, pastry chef Pichet Ong, and he knew Ellen, and 
and Eli, and we went in for dinner. It was probably about five years ago, and I had a wonderful experience at Fork, and I met Ellen, and I've I've since gotten to know her better over the years, and with, with High Street on Hudson opening in, in New York, and also, um, you know, their Philly location, and um, it is a very special restaurant, and there's a, they're amazing she's an amazing restaurateur and Eli's an amazing chef. And I actually just saw them both at the Philly chef conference. So um, I was out there and I mentioned that we were going to be doing this show and most likely we were going to be talking about them. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Those two, I, I still keep up with both of them quite a bit. Um, yeah. Eli's a, an incredible guy and he's um, kind of in early stages of starting uh, some new endeavors on his part. So I've been keeping up with him on that. Uh, been trying to get dinner with Ellen for a little while. Uh, she's such a busy, <laughs> such a busy lady, but uh, yeah, I love her and we, uh, we talked a good bit. Yeah, good people. So how did you come up with the name felt and do you say felt plus fat or do you say felt and fat? Uh, felt and fat rolls off okay. the tongue a little bit more, but I wanted to avoid okay. the ampersand uh, as opposed to the, uh, the plus sign. Um, yeah. So this was, um, you know, probably late 2013. We were doing this first project for um, what would be High Street on Market, um, you know, making these plates. And I was trying to come up with a name. Um, and at the time, you know, we were doing tableware and I had this vision for kind of a tableware company, but then also being more, you know, thinking more about being a design studio as opposed to something totally pigeonholed in, you know, one medium or one product. So, you know, could have called it Nate's plates, but that may have been a little bit too on the nose. Um, so felt and fat was a name that was referencing one of my favorite um, artists who is a kind of mid-century sculptor named Joseph Boys, um, who very iconically used uh, animal fat and felt in his work. Um, and so, you know, a lot of his work was about kind of material transcendence and about, um, Kind of taking really ordinary objects and through you know repetition and through um you know storytelling he could kind of make materials that are very mundane <clears throat> you know become imbued with a you know some sort of like almost mystical or uh you know um, you know great importance than they had so it was kind of this idea of like hey we're taking this like raw you know earth material and making it into something you know really uh really special, really important. Um, so it's kind of a name that has more significance to me than anybody else. But, you know, people put all kinds of uh, meaning into it that I've heard over the years. So, but it tends to be memorable. People, people remember it. So, uh, so it works out. It is for sure. So let's take a little break and we'll come back and we'll talk more about the type of design work you do and who you work with. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. This episode is brought to you by Escape Makers On Demand Agritourism Training. Did you know that every $1 invested in tourism marketing returns on average $3 to $8 back? Not a bad ROI. Learn how to grow your agritourism business via 12 workshops entirely women-led. These training workshops are on demand and can be downloaded at any time. The local travel landscape is rapidly changing to meet the demands of the leisure, event, and corporate travel sectors. 
Whether you're a farmer or producer, a winemaker, a restaurateur, or a destination marketing organization, there's more opportunity than ever to capture these markets. The on-demand agritourism training will provide you with insights and skills to keep your target demographic coming back for more. 14 speakers providing six plus hours of education that you can watch at your convenience anytime on any device. Maximize your time, budget, and resources and focus on creative solutions to help your business thrive. Presented by EscapeMaker and Fulton Stall Market, the full conference access pass is now available to purchase. Use the code HERITAGE2020 for $50 off a full pass at checkout. For more information and to purchase your pass, go to escapemaker.biz. That's escapemaker.biz. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Nate Mel. He's the founder and CEO of, Sel- of Felt and Fat, which is a collaborative ceramic design and manufacturing studio based in Philadelphia. So, Nate, let's let's talk about like the type, I mean, your style of of design work you do and how you collaborate with chefs and I I think your work is so beautiful and I I would like to um, have a, my whole, my own collection, which maybe could happen one day. <laughs> oh yeah, we could figure something out. <laughs> so so how so how do you describe I guess this your style of ceramics and 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 how you're collaborating with chefs? Do you do um, do you do exclusively uh, lines for particular chefs and? And or do you have different different varieties across um, that you you do in lots of different restaurants? Yeah, it's been an interesting journey for us because when we started, you know, when I started the business, it was, um, you know, we didn't I didn't have any designs, and I didn't start by designing you know a big line and then trying to sell it to people. Um, every design that's that came about uh, in the first few years happened through um, some sort of collaboration. So. You know, when High Street on Market opened, you know, Eli had some ideas for a plate design. You know, we had a back and forth that started, you know, in one way and ended up in a very different place. Um, and so, you know, all these designs early on were really kind of, you know, one plate in this shape, another plate in that shape, one bowl in this shape, another bowl in that shape. And so it was like really kind of a lot of different disparate items and no really fleshed out lines. Um <clears throat> But after, you know, the first couple of years, we had gone through a few different plate designs and we landed on one that, you know, we were using at this one restaurant. We really liked it. And so we decided to do a bunch of different sizes of it. Uh, similarly, we had this one bowl that seemed to like be really good kind of baseline bowls. So we did a bunch of different sizes of it. So currently, um, you know, we have, you know, one main plate and one main bowl that we have a bunch of different sizes of. Uh, but then we also have a bunch of different one-off or maybe two off um, shapes of a bunch of different things, um, different bowls, different plates, different little cups. Um, of course, we have a standard coffee, cappuccino, espresso cup as well. Um, but what I've found is that one can kind of have a limited number of shapes. Um, however, you can really do so much um, kind of custom work for people when it comes to finish. Um, you know, starting a new design in shape is a lot of um, is a lot of work. You know, making the new shape, making uh, molds, making a master mold, making a bunch of working molds, 
Um, it's something we do for sure, but it's something we tend to do less of is custom shapes. But we'll do a ton of different, you know, finishes, you know, colors, textures. Um, that's the thing that I have the most fun with, I think. Um, as far as what I would say our design uh, comes from, um, it's very collaborative. Almost every shape we've ever made has been in conversation with someone. Um, as far as, you know, our style that we put on these collaborations, I think it leans towards very Scandinavian, a little Japanese for the most part. So it's something that we, you know, perhaps in certain ways lucked out on as it, you know, we don't, I haven't seen a lot of people uh, domestically uh, in the industry who do design in our style. Um, you, know, you tend to see a lot more kind of like earthy, rugged kind of American pottery style here in the US, um, which I love as well. It's just, uh, just not the stuff we make generally. Um, so it kind of, you know, we lucked out in certain ways. I didn't know that we were kind of some of the only people doing it uh, to our scale uh, in the U.S. But, uh, yeah, it just kind of happened to work out that way. Yeah. And who are some of the chefs you've been working with? Because, I, I mean, I'm if I pick this up from social media correctly, I think you've done some 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 tableware for Brad Kilgore and perhaps Maylin at Nightshade. Um, yeah, and sure. I'm, and I'm big fans of both of them. So yeah, we've been really fortunate to work with some some pretty amazing chefs over the years. Um, you know, obviously Eli, who's the first chef we ever worked with, um, you know, really started us out in a big way. Um, you know, going from there early on, we worked with people like Nick Elmy here in Philly, who has Laurel and among other restaurants now. Oh right, yeah, um, he's great. Yeah, great guy. Um, uh, as you mentioned, you know, Brad Kilgore down in Miami, we did a really special project for him about a year and a half ago, designing this really cool uh, uni fondue bowl. Um, you know, Maylin, uh, Maylin was a really special one for me because uh, I was introduced to May by this woman, Angela Hernandez uh, in Texas, who is the first big restaurant we ever did was this place um, called Top Knot, which is part of uh, Uchi in Dallas, Texas, a big order. The first time we got like a really sizable order. So we, we really made good friends with, uh, with Angela. And at that time I was going on a trip to LA and Angela, you know, really kindly emailed a bunch of her different friends in LA because she had owned a restaurant out there and just, just introduced me to them. Uh, so guys like Aitor Zabala at Somni, he, she introduced me to, you know, May Lynn. She introduced me to Johnny Black, who uh, has worked at, you know, Pineapple and Pearls as well as, uh, you know, oh boy, uh, Atelier Cren and places like that. So Angela, really, I credit her with introducing me to, you know, half the chefs yeah. I know on the West Coast. It's <laughs> a great list. <laughs> Thank you, Angela. <laughs> forever. That's <laughs> forever credit with us. Um, but uh, May, uh, I got introduced to, this was, this may have been 2015. This was probably 2015, 2016, on the cusp of those. And so May, I had lunch with back then, just met her and I, gave her a bunch of plates just as samples. And she's like, Hey, I'm going to open this restaurant. You know, and I'm like, okay, let's keep up. And so, you know, early 2016, you know, fast forward to, I think it was you know, 2018. She opened Nightshade. Uh, so it took about two years of conversation, but, uh, you know, in that time, we, uh, really got to know each other. Uh, her sous chef, uh, uh pastry chef, Max, uh, who does amazing stuff. Um, you know, we got to all know each other. They came out here and we kind of, got to eat around town, a really wonderful time. So that kind of, to me, highlights so much of what I, you know, one of the things I love most about this industry is the relationships um, 
all the different chefs, all the different, you know, maitre d's and people like that. You know, we've been able to work with the guys at Crown Chai most recently in New York who've been really cool to work with. Um, James Kent and the, oh, great. He, and he's coming on. Um, Oh, sorry. Yeah, James is coming on my show in a in a few weeks, so um, oh, I'm excited cool. about that. Yeah, yeah amazing and, and really good people. Yeah, and they're they're well, they're they're planning to open a you know a, a, another place upstairs, upstairs yep. like the yep. 65th floor of their building, <laughs> way upstairs. Yeah, way up there. Um, but um, and I was and I was in I was in LA back in um. When was I there? October. And I went to Nightshade in my dining out rounds and I loved it. And I talked about it on, I just looked back at the number on episode 235. I talked about my solo dining experience on that show. Oh, yeah. And the, the plates, I mean, the plates are definitely a big part of the whole experience, you know, and sure, I was sitting at, sure. uh, sitting at the chef's counter where you get to, you know, you see everything all lined up and she, there's definitely, they play a huge role, I think, in, in the, um, her presentation of dishes. For sure. Know. Yeah. Uh, that's a great restaurant. It really is. Um, so when you say team and, and we, how many people are you at this point? Yeah, uh, well, we've we've grown over the years. Um, we would still, within the tableware industry, be be considered quite small. Um, so my team uh, is a number of people. I have a few partners, um, of which are mostly not in the studio on the day today. I have um, a friend, a guy named Alex Connor, who came on very early on in 2015, doing kind of web development and kind of marketing development, um, and then a guy named Joel Evie, who's a old friend of mine who does all of our graphic design, who also kind of introduced us a lot in the um, kind of design world in New York. He had a lot of connections there. Um, and then a couple named uh, Matt and uh, Rose Katz, who are you know ceramic material specialists who have really helped us develop really robust uh, clay and, uh, and glaze chemistry and things like that. Um, and then in the day-to-day, -day, uh, the people who are actually making the work, um, I'm in there obviously every day and I still get my hands in production from time to time. But um, I have a wonderful uh, studio manager named uh, Mark Bell, who's been with us for about two, two years now. He's uh, d took over a lot of the jobs that I used to do. Uh, and then uh, our fulfillment coordinator, Brooke, who uh, is really incredible. She's helped us put together a lot of our systems for tracking production. And um, she's the one generally packing up everything that goes out the door. And then we got uh, Chris and Griffin and Lauren and other Lauren. Uh, so yeah, pretty, pretty sizable team. And then we have people in and out from time to time doing some various little work. Um, I've got this great old 70-year-old uh, potter who comes in and does some prototyping with me from time to time, who's uh, been throwing pots for 50 years. And now and then he'll just come in and, you know, we'll work together on some new shapes. And uh, yeah, it's a really, it's a really cool dynamic space. You get a lot of people in and out. Oh, that's great. Is your goal to keep growing or to stay the same size or, or you don't, or you don't know, you'll see what's to come. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're really working on growing. Um, you know, the, the business as it stands, you know, the tableware business is really tricky. It's, um, you know, when you're doing handmade work, uh, when you're doing work that, uh, requires a lot of touches, you know, uh, you know, it's expensive to make, you know, we want to pay our people well, we want to take care of them. And, uh, but we also understand that, you know, you know, a lot of restaurants have pretty thin margins. And so we have to 
find the space where we can make, you know, really wonderful, durable tableware at a, uh, you know, a relatively affordable price uh, for restaurants. Um, so in order to do that, we really do have to grow. Uh, the price we sell at now is a little bit aspirational for us. Um, so the margins as they are um, only really work if we increase our production uh, fairly significantly. So we've been, you know, over the last um, six years now, you know, growing uh, a little bit faster every year, I'd say. We've bootstrapped our way up in the first uh, few years, just kind of working, using that money to buy new equipment. Uh, we did a Kickstarter in 2015 that got us a little bit of money. Um, and then we took out our first loan in 2018, our second loan last year. And now, you know, this coming year, I think uh, we're looking to grow, um, you know, uh, a bit more even after that. <laughs> oh, that's exciting. And I just, I, I, I want to share with you my question I had from my last guest, which you might have already answered, but you might be able to add more to it. So on episode 243, I spoke with Mike Lada, who's the chef and partner of Fig Restaurant and The Ordinary in Charleston, South Carolina. And I asked him to ask you a question. And his question is, how do you scale up a business like yours and maintain your identity? And as you grow your company, who do you look for to get inspiration or model after? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I guess we talked about that a little bit, but um, when it comes to scaling, um, you know, I think it's really about trying to early on identify, you know, why do you do what you do? Um, there's certain values we have, um, you know, Western manufacturing we think is important. Um, you know, paying our workers a fair wage we think is very important. Um, we want to make product that has great integrity. And we want to have great relationships with the people we sell it to. So it's trying to find those values that are important to you and figuring out ways to maintain those as you grow. Um, so that's, that's a big part of it, I would say. Um, people I look at as inspiration, um, there's a number of people, uh, people kind of near us that are scale-wise. Um, I know you talked to John Pandolfi at one point. Uh, John, is a, John is a great guy. He's been in the industry for you know, I think 2001, he started doing what he was doing. And I didn't know who he was when we started the business, but then kind of finding out a little bit later, I was like, oh, this guy had the idea <laughs> before any of us did. So he's a, he's, a, he's a cool guy to look at as far as like being a small person scaling up. Uh, when it comes to mid-sized businesses, um, I really look at uh, people like Figio in Norway, which is a really amazing tableware company uh, that has very similar, um, you know, values to us as far as, uh, you know, maintaining their manufacturing in their country. They're the last, um, you know, Norwegian tableware manufacturer and uh, really make beautiful product and uh, got to meet their team uh, earlier this year. I went out and had a visit. Um, so they're really cool as well. Um, and then other inspiration is uh, honestly our, our, you know, our industry, you know, the restaurants we work with, the chefs we work with, and and our, distribu our distributor, which is a, a singer, M. Tucker, who really kind of took us under their wing in the last couple of years and really helped to show us how to, you know, build this company right. So, yeah, we get some great people we work with and some great partners in growing together. Yeah, well, that's that's terrific. I, and I look, I look forward to seeing what's next for you for sure. Um, so on that note, let's take a little break and we'll come back and we will play my speed round game and talk industry news. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. 
back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Nate Mel, and it is time for my speed round game. So, Nate, what this is, is I'm going to name a couple things, and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Oh, is that one of them? Well, that's the, that's the sample <laughs> one. You don't have to answer it because it's only a sample. But um, Good. Well, I'd go with chocolate. Okay, there you go. So so you're going to be great at this game. <laughs> All right, great. Yeah, got it. Okay, here we go. Eat in or eat out? Uh, eat out. Wine, beer, cocktail, mocktail, or champagne? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I drink the most beer, but I probably enjoy cocktails the most. Okay, fair. How about tasting menu or a la carte? I like, oh boy, that one's real tough. Um, I, I guess tasting menu because I like to not have to think about it too much, but I don't like when they get too fussy with it. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. All right. I don't know how you're going to deal with the, this next one. Small plates or large plates? Well, small plates are good for me because I sell more plates. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I think I like small plates too in the restaurant though. Get a lot of tastes. Yeah. Okay. Communal table or chef's counter? Oh, I like the chef's counter. Yeah, that's fun. How about tipping or all-inclusive charge? Um, I, <laughs> I think... I think it's the right thing to moving to all inclusive. I, I enjoyed the tipping system when I was a server because I made great money. But, uh, you know, I, I think all inclusive is the is the wave of the future. Okay, we'll see. Okay, a few more. Mugs with handles or without handles? Um, like function- yeah, if it's if it's a hot beverage, it should probably have a handle. Although I really prefer, you know, making things without handles. <laughs> It always seems like the the specialists like you make these such beautiful mugs without the handles. <laughs> like yeah, it's a, well, handles it's are a lot of work. Beautiful. Handles yeah, are tricky. Well, yeah. I can imagine that too. Okay, a few more. Pats or Genos? Uh Jim's. Jim's. <laughs> is this is this a cheese steak place? Yeah, I mean if yeah, yeah. Pats and Genos are yeah, I don't think I've had a cheese steak there in a decade or something. Uh, yeah, Jim's okay. is like another big one, but just the just the better of them. <laughs> okay, good to know for my next yeah, trip. Yeah. Cheese plate or dessert? Oh, it depends on who's making the dessert. Um, I'd say <laughs> <laughs> pro- probably it's usually going to be the dessert because by the time I get to dessert, I'm usually pretty darn full. And I, I like a cheese plate just all on its own. Okay, and the last one is Manhattan, Brooklyn, or Philadelphia. Oh boy, I thought you were going for drinks first. Um, <laughs> You're not the first to say that one, actually. But yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I love New York. I love Manhattan. I love Brooklyn. But you know, Philly's Philly's where it's at. I can get, I think, some of the best food in the world for about thirty percent cheaper. So, <laughs> all right, I'll good take to that. Know. <laughs> and that's the game. It was fun hearing your answers. Good game. Thank you. So for industry news, we got to get serious again. (laughs) I mean, it's serious things happening. Um, 
this COVID-19 known as the coronavirus um, is definitely what's happening in the industry and beyond our industry as far as news. Um, And it's a really uncertain time. Um, There have been been so many changes and updates happening in the past week. Um, The article I, I picked out was on Eater New York, which came out on Monday about how Governor Cuomo announces tri-state restaurant and bar shutdown starting Monday night. And this was, uh, you know, stating how restaurants uh, could no longer be open and could only rely on takeout and delivery. And um, that they were changing the state laws here to allow booze to be delivered. Um, But I think it came with, um, you have to also deliver food. You couldn't just deliver um, alcohol to people, but, you know, I, I mean, I, I've been. It's it, it's interesting, I guess, seeing it from. I'm I'm looking at it from a New York City perspective, and um, but I'm sure you're you're you've been watching along from Philadelphia, and I think, um, I don't know how the how the government has been how it's been exactly uh, correlating as far as timing of things. You know, you say you're working from home now, but when. Um, our restaurants, are they all shut down in Philadelphia at this point? Yeah, I think we're quite similar to um, where New York's at right now. So, uh, you know, restaurants are pretty much just doing um, takeout. Um, so a lot of uh, a lot of restaurants are, you know, obviously um, adapting as best they can to it. But it's, yeah, it's a really, really scary time uh, for the restaurant industry here. And uh, I think all over the country. It really is. And I mean, it was on last week on on Friday, uh, some of the bigger restaurateurs like Danny Meyer and Daniel Ballou had voluntarily decided to close their restaurants. Um, And, you know, it was it's just been it's it's been really hard watching all the announcements everyone's making online and the difficulty of the decision for chefs and restaurateurs to when they had, you know, if they were deciding what to do, if they're open or closed, and even now if they should remain open and doing delivery or, or, or just stop. Um, I mean, we're all supposed to be, you know, practicing social distancing and we really need to be, um, we need to stay safe and we need to, you know, take care of ourselves, but it's, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm feeling, it's like my heart is just aching for, for the entire hospitality industry. I don't, you know, it's, it's like no one, you couldn't have predicted this. (laughs) Yeah, it's really tricky. Um, I think the best thing I read recently about, um, you know, the situation was, uh, you know, I don't know if you know Shola from Studio Kitchen here in Philly. He put a really good Um, statement out, um, I think I follow him. Yeah. Yeah. He's got an Instagram website. Uh, he, he was putting out a statement the other day about how to, you know, how we need to act in the industry to get beyond this, which is very much about kind of the bigger players in the industry working on lobbying in Washington, because every time one of these big uh, crises happen, uh, you know, people get bailed out. And honestly, you know, the hospitality industry more than anybody, I think is going to be one of the most affected in this uh with this and yeah. we really need you know the big guys to step up and uh to come out for the industry in general and you know talk to our politicians both locally and uh federally and you know make make things happen for you know for the hospitality industry we absolutely do and you know i'm not i can't say 
I or any of us have all the answers, but I did, I did put together a bit of a list of some of the resources and the things I've been seeing posted. And on on the note you're touching on, um, I saw Tom Colicchio from Crafted Hospitality. Uh, he was on CNN the other night um, and and talking about it. But he also uh, posted on social media how uh, a campaign asking for those who care about the hardworking individuals in the industry to call your representative and senator and demand that we are part of the federal stimulus plan. I'm going to, the number to call is 202-224-3121. And this is, you know, call, call, we need to make a difference. And um, using the hashtag too small to fail. I've seen that also David Chang using that one as well. Um, so uh, there is action that can be taken. Um, I also want to just share some other resources on Facebook, Hospitality Industry Alliance, COVID-19, and Industry United are both Facebook groups that are posting a lot of great information. Um, the NYC Hospitality Alliance is doing great work with Andrew Ridgey, and they're at the nycalliance.org. Um, there is a group called Resources for Restaurants and Workers Coping with COVID-19 Emergency, and their website's restaurantworkerscf.org. Um, I'm a part of a PR group that put together uh, an initiative to sell dining bonds, and that website supportrestaurants.org. There's also diningatadistance.com that's been created. I mean, it's a, it's actually amazing to see all these initiatives and and how everyone is 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 like wants to help. Um, there's also a petition to save America's restaurants um, that's been been backed by a lot of the top leaders and chefs, and that's change.org. James Beard Foundation did a, a webinar the other day talking about it, jamesbeard.org, and a lot of great articles on, I'd say, eaters doing a tremendous amount, a tremendous job covering the covering what's happening, as well as Food and Wine and Grub Street, New York Times. Um, so that's like just a bit of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, everybody's got a lot of time to, <laughs> to time to look into this since nobody gets to go to work right now. Yeah, well, it's it's and and it's the thing is that it's it's constantly changing. You know, I I would imagine even by the time we're done with this interview, there might be something new. Um, so, um, but I'm I'm hoping for the best, and we're a really strong, resilient group, and and very passionate people, and we love what we do. So I, 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 we will get through this. And, um, but those are, those are some of the ways that, that people, you know, get your voice out there and, and, and help and, you know, support the industry as much as you can. So that is industry news. Um, we're going to take one more break and we'll come back and we will do my solo dining experience. And the final question, this is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. Hey, like what you hear? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. With fresh programming every week, we've got something for everyone. Trying to start your own food business? Concerned about where your food comes from? Looking for the best wine or beer to bring to a party? Find our shows on iTunes or Stitcher, or head to heritageradionetwork.org to listen live and subscribe to our newsletter. 
Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it's time for my solo dining experience. So this week, it's at Jing Fong. Here's the rundown. The location, 380 Amsterdam Avenue at 78th Street on the Upper West Side in New York City. The concept, Chinese cuisine and dim sum. The owners, originally Jing Fong, and now it's Shui Ling Lam Chun Soi. If I said that correctly, I hope so. So why'd I go? Because I had been meaning to check out this offshoot of the original Jing Feng, which is now on the Upper West Side. And because um, Jing Feng is known as an iconic Chinatown dim sum house. And I wanted to support local restaurants. Uh, and so my experience. So last week, it was on Thursday when uh restaurants are still open. I I went in for an early dinner and it felt really good to be there. I sat by the window. I was very distant from other people. Um, my server was lovely, guided me with what dim sum was most popular and what, what I should get. And I had, a, I had a great meal. So what did I get? I had the shrimp and chive dumplings, the shumai and roast pork buns. My take it was just, it was a, it was a perfect meal. It was, uh, dumplings were super fresh, delicious. Shumai was really tasty. The pork buns were very flavorful. It had some dipping sauces on the side, um, which were a great combination. So I was glad I was there. The ambiance, it's a modest dining room with large windows up front and has a large bar. And I also noticed in the back that they really had a large operation going for delivery. Uh, they were they were prepared for people to be ordering in and taking out. So it's perfect for dim sum and Chinese food seekers. Interesting tidbit, this second branch of the original Chinatown dim sum restaurant, which opened in 1978, is known for is known as one of New York City's premier dim sum and banquet halls. And the original opened, it had 100, 150 seats. And now the location of Chinatown has 800 seats, which is huge. And it's obviously currently closed, but can't hope for it to open, reopen soon. Personal fun fact. Um, I will continue to support local restaurants and as much as I can, ordering in, taking out for now, buying gift certificates. And as I said at the beginning of the show, follow at the hashtag keep calm and carry out. So the cost of my meal was $24. That's not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Yes. Looking forward to once they reopen and their website is jingfongny.com. Okay, so we're at the end of the show. It's time for the final question. So, Nate, uh, my next guest is Elizabeth McCall. She's the assistant master distiller of Woodford Reserve, which is a premium small batch bourbon whiskey based in Kentucky. So, Nate, what would you like to ask Elizabeth? I am curious what someone in her position actually does on a day-to-day basis um kind of what her <laughs> split between you know uh, r and and like email writing and all that kind of stuff is so yeah uh, that's what i that's what i'm curious about yeah no i was thinking between sipping sipping bourbon right <laughs> yeah i think that i think the yeah. idea sounds incredibly uh you know uh, romantic and exciting but then like i wonder how much of the job is just writing emails <laughs> and doing that kind of thing 
And it's probably it's like that for for a lot of a lot of jobs, I'm sure. But yeah, that's a great question. And um, I will find out. Excited to talk with her and learn more all about the the bourbon whiskey world um, and what happens in Kentucky. So. So that's the show. And I just wanted to thank you so much for joining me today and sharing so much about your company and also um, talking with me about, you know, the state of the industry, because it's it's a lot, you know, it's it's big stuff happening and it's it's great to, you know, be able to connect with you and have an open, honest conversation and and support each other. So thank Absolutely. you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, well, and I can't wait to see whatever, you know, all your your newest, latest cre- creations. So um, keep up the great work and, and congratulations to you for all your success. Thanks again. Thank you. So my guest today has been Nate Mel. He's the founder and CEO of Felt and Fat, which is an artisanal tableware company studio based in Philadelphia. You can find him online at feltandfat.com and on social media at feltandfat. You can find me online at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry and my websites are bayerpublicrelations.com, sherrybayer.com, and allintheindustry.com. All of our shows are archived at heritageradionetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. So Subject to change, but my plan for the next two weeks is to broadcast two of our panels from my host Summit Plus Social, which was the conference that we held at the end of January at the William Vale, and it's featuring our past show guests and bringing behind-the-scenes talent and hospitality to the forefront. So I have a total of eight episodes from host, and so I was... I was planning for the next two weeks to start to air these back so I can share them with all of you. And also, I will be adding commentary on these shows to keep you up to date with what's happening with COVID-19 and our industry. And then on Wednesday, April 8th, I'm planning to be back with a show with Elizabeth McCall of Woodford Reserve. So that's the plan. And to keep informed and and just up with everything, please uh, follow at All Industry. That's where you'll get the most um, up-to-date news. Thanks to my engineer today, Amanda. And again, thanks to Nate. I'm Sherry Bayer. Be safe and be well. And thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. I'm Sherry Bayer, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, HRN is celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. 
Learn more at h a 